Welcome to the Memory Distillery, everyone. I'm Anthony Veneri. And I'm John Deck. Now, each week, we will malt, mash, ferment, and distill our way through the spirits of our past in the form of long-loved movies. That's right. And this week, caca, we're watching The Crow from 1994, directed by Alex Proyas. Uh, John, I don't remember a lot about this movie. I haven't seen it in probably about 25 years, so right around the time that it came out. Um I kind of got turned off to it because of all the sort of other teens or, I mean, I was what 12, 13 at the time when this came out. And (laughs) so all the moody teens were obsessed over it. It really like, it made me not want to watch it. Yeah. I may have had a poster for this movie up on my wall. And by, I may have, I mean, I definitely did because for a short window of time, I was kind of obsessed with it. Um, I haven't seen it for a long time, but because back in the day I was really into it, it I think it's left a, a much stronger impression on me. So I, I remember certain things about it. And it, it's one of these movies as we come into it that I'm already preemptively cringing just a little bit <laughs> um, where I'm just I'm afraid I'm afraid this is going to be really, you know, not a, a wonderful experience. Yeah, I. It's funny, like when you and I first talked about doing The Crow, my initial thought was like, ah, do I really want to go back through that? And then, like, I I looked it up real briefly and I realized, oh, this is the 25th anniversary that had just passed, like when we talked about doing it, because um, it, uh, it was released like May something, May 13th of 94. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Uh, you know, a year before that was uh, when Brandon Lee died. He he died, for those of you who don't know, spoiler, uh, Brandon Lee died during the production of this movie. Um, and like the because of that, it didn't release for over a year after. But uh, I, that sort of started to draw me in a little bit. And I thought, well, why not give it another go and see if maybe I actually do enjoy it or if I still feel like it's one of those movies that's geared toward a bunch of moody emo teens. Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm I'm actually curious that I might go full circle if I expect it might not be great. I might turn around and then just find a way to appreciate it, which will be fun. Unlike, say, like Wayne's World, a controversial uh, <laughs> a thumbs down from my part, from what I've heard from a few people already from this past week, are just kind of like, what is wrong with you? Um, how, how, <laughs> you how could you even hint that that movie wasn't amazing and great? Um, I, I stand by my opinion, but I, I hear what people are saying. And, uh, and so I think it's funny because I thought for sure Wayne's World would be a overall very positive experience no problems at all it's gonna be great it's funny it's hilarious and then i kind of went off track on that now here with the crow i'm thinking it it seems to me to be like super you know like like you said like the emo production value not just the the makeup but everything is going to be rainy and everything's going to be dark and it's going to be like you know just that so edgy yeah yeah like 
have you noticed my leather I'm wearing? Or, you know, something <laughs> something along those lines. I do remember Did a you quote. see how pale my skin is? There was a quote from the movie that was something like, it can't rain all the time. Right. You know, like that kind of... That That's but, uh, probably <laughs> one of the lines that I do remember from this movie. So. I do remember, like, the image of the crow showing up a lot. Like, he outlined something in fire or, you know, right. with lighter flute and set it on fire. And, like, it kept showing up. And I, I really liked the imagery back then. And I just thought it was kind of this poetic thing. But then again, I was really into Jim Morrison. And I, you know, was prompted to reading a, a book of his poetry uh, for what it's worth. And so there's a <laughs> there's a whole list of things that I might uh, re-encounter now that might make me roll my eyes uh, from back then. Well, I'm I'm interested to know, and we'll get into this in the the post watch portion of the show. But what's going to happen if you know your uh, and obviously this movie had a really big impact on you in in your younger years. Like, what happens if it turns out that you completely hate it now? Yeah, like, how is that going to affect how, sort of how you feel about you know past John? So, yeah, it, it's a it's an interesting thing. I might implode upon myself. I think uh, <laughs> like a neutron star. Yeah, I might become even more dense than I already am. <laughs> oh wait, that doesn't sound good. All right. Well, uh, while we ponder that, we're gonna go ahead and take a break here. We'll go and watch The Crow. It's on Netflix right now. If you guys want to join along with us and watch, and when we come back, we will discuss it and see if John's gonna implode. Sounds perfect. Let's go. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, John, that was a movie. It was the Crow movie. It was the Crow movie about a crow and a guy who hangs out with a crow. They were crow buddies. They sure were. I think that was the title, the original title, if I remember the research. Oh, yeah. And then they went a little dark with it, I think. And they decided it wasn't a buddy movie. Yeah, at least not in the traditional sense. Sure. I believe is based on a graphic novel, not not Crow Buddies, just the Crow. Yeah. Yes, the Crow is based on a graphic novel uh, under the DC brand, I think. Sounds plausible. Let's uh, let's jump into it because there was there was some stuff that I liked, but there was also a fair bit that I didn't. Well, let me just start off. I feel like I want to make a statement here to the universe. Go ahead, and that is that I think. You know, we all have the opportunity to change and evolve over time. And upon reflection, <laughs> I oh, think I think for the purposes of this podcast, I think it's time that I let go of the simple thinking of movies as just good or bad. Did I like it or not? Did it live up to my expectations or, or memories or not? And, and go deeper. And I think this movie is no better place than to start with. Uh, than to allow myself to just feel, you know, all of my supernatural senses and extend them into this movie and try to get past my own little hangups if I think the special effects are stupid or whatever mundane, tiny little details have detracted me in the past. That is not where I thought that diatribe was going to end. And it, yeah, it did go where it went. It sure did. <laughs> Uh, why don't you expound upon that a little bit? Well, 
see here here's what i'm thinking let's let's take this to a real world real life example of i don't know the crow uh which we which we watched and i think my past instinct would have been to swim right in walk up to the plank any kind of mixed metaphor mm-hmm. and immediately just go i liked it i didn't like it which is more likely and then just be like this is a problem and i didn't like this and blah but now instead when i was watching this movie I really went out of my way to just kind of take it in and try to appreciate where it's coming from and see like what resonates, what sticks out to me, what can I talk about that I think would actually be maybe more interesting. Um, And for example, with The Crow, the first thing that I feel is like totally sticks out to me is the idea of legacy, uh, which is to say what has come after The Crow that is like very much influenced by it. Um, and then like throughout the whole movie, I kept seeing, you know, whether it was truly intentional or an homage or if it's something that really pulled from it or not, but anywhere from like dark city to the matrix to Batman begins the dark Knight, and, and even like game of Thrones and even sting from the WWF or WWE, depending on your era or like, WCW <laughs> or WCW nitro NWO, whatever you want to get into. Sure. But, like, so many of these different uh, future products that all happen after this movie, um, whether they borrowed from it or inspired by it, or it was just some unsung lineage that creeped along. I mean, even in the beginning one, when, when Eric Craven first is like, you know, revived and he's running on these rooftops, it's like so exactly what you see in the beginning of the matrix with Trinity running across the rooftops. And, mm-hmm. and that's just the start. And so, so many of these things kept coming up that, it really just made me feel like I could enjoy and digest this movie on a, a level that was larger than itself, but still, well, yeah. Uh, sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I'm, I'm kind of sad that you brought this up now instead of later in the podcast, because I, I feel like it would have been a sort of a good note to go out on, but don't uh, be sad. I, We're going to start strong that, for once. Yeah, we will start strong. I think, um, <laughs> cause this takes me like right to the end of my list of things that I didn't like. Which is, and, and hear me out, um, the end of my list for things that I didn't like is there were things about the movie that, of course, I didn't like. But uh, Brandon Lee's tragic death on scene or on set uh, for this movie. What roles would he have gone on to do in place of other actors? What would his career have looked like after The Crow had he not? died on on the set of this movie um undoubtedly the matrix would have been made dark city would have been made all these movies that that seem to have have borrowed from or or paid homage to um this movie could have all found a place in a role with a role for brandon lee so like would brandon lee have been neo in the matrix (laughs) And, and what would that have looked like uh would Brandon Lee have have played uh, Rufus Sewell's character in Dark City? Like, I, I hope I'm getting that actor right. Um, what 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 would have been? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean it's it's hard to say. I mean, I think anytime, even like Brandon Lee I, at the time, I, I think you know I made no 
apologies for the fact that I, I I did love this movie at the time and had a poster up on my wall of it and all that good stuff. And, and so, yeah, I definitely can resonate with what you're saying about wondering what if, and, and, and in this role itself, isn't even as so amazing and life changing as much as it's just that curiosity of what could have been. I mean, I mean, honestly, anytime you have actors who, who leave us in, in their middle of their prime or after they've done some amazing role like Heath Ledger or something like that, you wonder where would this have gone? What would have been next? What could have come? So, yeah, those are absolutely good questions to see and wonder about. Speaking of of Brandon Lee specifically, one of the things that I did like was just how much of Bruce Lee you can see in Brandon. Um, for for anyone out there listening, and I know that we have a few fans uh, or a few listeners who are fans of Bruce Lee, uh, Brandon Lee has so much of his father in him. It's 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 almost eerie. I, I, and going back to sort of our previous point, I, I wonder how much of that would have come through in future roles that he would have had. Yeah, I think he had a lot of room to mature because even though I enjoyed him in, in other movies, uh, I could think of two or three, but like I never thought he reached that iconic status. And maybe, again, it's just because things were cut short before he really had the chance. But he definitely had his father's charisma and physical acting ability, like the way he holds himself and the way he moves. I I think I enjoyed his embodiment of the crow in a physical sense more than I liked his delivery of lines or I think some of the, the directing choices about like whether he was really angry and going to kill everybody or whether he was kind of a goofball and and kind of thought some of this was funny. Like the tone changed a bit, but he was consistent throughout with the way he moved and the way he he portrayed things physically. It would just it did remind me a lot of his father in that that sense what you get captivated just by watching how he he moves and handles things. Oh, absolutely. And I I think that you, you can't hold really any line against him. I mean, yeah, you know, an actor like they they read the lines that are, that are written for them, and yeah, they do sometimes get sort of artistic license with that. But more or less, you're you're scripted. So like the lines are the lines, but it, you're right, the delivery of those lines and and how he how he portrays that character is is huge. Um, I don't want to spend all of our time on Brandon Lee because I think that there's a lot to to sort of dig into with this movie the next uh i i sort of i guess the next uh character in line that we could talk about is probably ernie hudson's character <laughs> um the the cop who the sort of disgraced detective who got bumped down to a uniform cop um i don't like that he smokes and not maybe not that he smokes ernie hudson smoking doesn't play i think another if you cast another actor as a cop and he smoked that might be one thing but he he just doesn't smoke ernie hudson doesn't smoke and it's too early for him to have a sick vape rig right exactly like no. he, there's no way he's <laughs> ripping cotton on screen i mean that's just sad for us but you're right and it's interesting you know speaking of good old ernie um watching the movie i also was thinking about like who are we, the audience, meant to identify with? Like, who is our our visual representative that we're supposed to look through their eyes? And, like, is it supposed to be Eric? Is it supposed to be Sarah? Uh, is it supposed to be Ernie? I think Sergeant something, Sergeant Albrecht or something like that. But like, Albrecht, yeah. Okay. Like, I'm just like, who who is that? Because he's kind of that 
common sensibility like you know he he looks at it all taking in like you know what is what's what's this he's all confused by it like maybe mm-hmm. we're supposed to be um and i think for me i identified with his character apart from you know the the smoking habit um in, in the way that he's just trying to do what's best he's getting caught up in office politics he's getting screwed you know with the job situation but he's still trying to do good by the people around him. But he does make dumb decisions like storming the castle at the end, guns blazing. <laughs> like, it, it, But I could see myself doing something crazy like that to try to protect people. So it's like I ended up identifying the most with his character out of everyone because uh, I, even though I do have certain super heroic type healing abilities of my own, I still thought that his mentality and how he took things in was the most relatable. Yeah, I, and I think that probably most of the audience uh, feel free to correct us if if we're, if I'm wrong about or correct me if I'm wrong about this, uh, good listeners. Uh, Facebook.com/slash the memory distillery. Go ahead and leave us a note there if you feel that way. Uh, I think that he's probably the the character who you could ground yourself to the most, uh, at least today. Um, I, I think maybe back when this came out in 1994. Uh, and you had, as as I mentioned at the top of the show, sort of the the, the emo teen or emo tween uh, kids kind of I, I identifying with this or or uh, falling in love with it. Like everywhere I went in high school, like somebody had a crow shirt, and you know, g- girls were all about Brandon Lee and and all that stuff. Um, I, I think that the Ernie Hudson character f- now is probably the one that the audience could most tether themselves to. <laughs> um, you know, especially if the audience is me and I, and we both happen to share being middle-aged men. And, you know, like I'm no longer a, a kid watching this thinking it'd be, you know, badass if I was flying over rooftops and diving through windows. <laughs> and instead I'm just like, oh, I can't make it up these stairs. You go on a fight without me. That's like, that's, that's who I am right now. That's fair. You know, Ernie Hudson's not the only kind of household name, at least from the '90s, that you could uh, you could find in this movie either. Um, Tony Todd is in this uh, of Candyman fame. Uh, he he sort of uh, he was one of the the kind of main henchmen of the, the the overall gang in the movie, and uh, you also had John Polito. Uh, who not probably not everybody knows who John Polito is, but he's he's been in a lot of stuff, and and I I liked him especially just because of how he kind of played his role. He was the the pawn shop owner. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And he 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 just he played it so well. Uh, every every line that he delivered just came out perfectly for me. Yeah, the entire um mob of side characters, I think. And again, we we said we're not going to hold them responsible for any particular line of dialogue or anything like that. But as the whole, like even if they were just kind of horrible and you wanted to kill them yourself, <laughs> they they kind of embodied whatever their particular quirks or, or weirdness was. And and his role as that pawn shop owner, like it was obvious, he he like if he was someone else, he probably would have just been killed already and they would have just taken his money instead of trying to sell stuff to him. But like, he has that certain amount of, Hey, I'm running a business here. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. And the uh, neighborhood fixture and all that. Yeah. And so like when he gets all burned up and, you know, eventually of course he 
slowly meets his end. Um, yes. But but it, it's just one of those things where you're like, yeah, he's that kind of somewhat annoying, but also somewhat commanding presence that, you know, has just been around for everything. Mm-hmm. Um. I have to sort of disagree with you on on the sort of mob of side characters thing. The the kind of main four uh, of the gang that we we see in the beginning of the movie or, or throughout parts of the movie who uh, who killed Eric Draven and and raped and killed his fiance. Um, there were parts of their characters that I just didn't. It didn't feel right. Um, it, it didn't feel believable. Like there were just there was the the mania of this gang just wasn't believable to believable to me. Like the the bullet swallowing uh, with the taking the shots that was super weird and like felt out of place. Uh, now and, and I... the 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 kind of the the chanting uh, I didn't really get either. It, did, it just didn't play for me. These aren't things that you used to do in your youth all the time? Nope. Uh, maybe the chanting, but probably not the bullet swallowing that I can remember. <laughs> Although okay. maybe maybe swallowing bullets kills memories, so maybe I don't know. I think, from what I recall from my youth, all of these things were dumb and stupid, and I agree. Um, no, <laughs> I've, I've, it, it's one of those things where, much like the rest of the movie i think they tried to really stylize things they wanted to you know like whether it was the, the moody atmosphere of the of, of the set design um or the music or, or the the constant rainfall just like in the matrix um <laughs> that like what they what they kind of tried to make were some big decisions on small characters and and i think maybe the level of awkwardness that felt was because it was kind of uncomfortable and dumb at times but I feel like at least they tried to commit to having unique side characters who each had their quote unquote thing. And, you know, and they were and it helped when, you know, when Eric as the crow wanted is trying to, you know, not trying, but successfully killing them off in their own particular fashions that is customized to who they are and how they lived and, and their own unique sins and horribleness. And I get those things. It, it just. It seemed like it was too much, and you made a really good point just now in saying that they spent too much time sort of developing these small characters who ultimately didn't didn't get any time on screen yeah. or any substantial amount of time on screen. Um, and it, it almost feels like they sacrificed parts of, of sort of bigger plot points. Like, there was no real explanation for why Eric becomes this Avenger character. Like I get that maybe you're supposed to draw your own conclusions as to why or how or whatever, but it's, it, it, it you, you sort of get an idea for that, but he goes from agonizing wake up to, to putting on makeup. And yes, I just rhymed. <laughs> um, Are you going to say a little prayer for us? I am going to say a little prayer for you. Do, 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 do. Uh, no, they, they. He he wakes up. He he crawls out of his grave. He stumbles to his old his old apartment and screams for five minutes, and then he's putting on makeup. Well, and, I think, and there's no. Yeah, you, you're not given anything to go with that, and so aside from knowing what's happened to him, 
you, you don't get any sort of lore or or uh, uh, imperative or anything like that. You know what I mean? You do get that very, very first thing that Sarah says in the voiceover, which, um, you know, I don't have quotes pulled up or anything like no, that. No, but, but it's, it's something like a crow sh- shepherds you to the other side. But if you are, like, if you have unfinished business, you know, it brings you back. And that's fine. But h- how many people have un- unfinished business when they die? Probably half, I would assume. <laughs> or all. Or all. Or, you know, 90%, we'll call it. So, so what, crows so- are bringing 90% of the people back from the fucking dead? So what I think we both would have liked is, you know, when we get to the opening scene, not opening scene, but we get to the point where the, the crow is on the gravestone and starts pecking on it. Instead of just going immediately to Eric bursting out of the grave, we would have taken this crow and he just turns towards the camera and puts on a little top hat and a monocle. And he goes, what you're about to say here is the embodiment of vengeance. Now I, as a crow, will embody this fellow with all of my vengeance powers because I, I, don't I like want that. to. I don't like that. I need a different voice. Okay. What do you notice now? No, that's not it either. That's not a crow either. I know a crow. I'll do my Jon Snow impression. Nope. Because he was a crow who was killed and came back from the dead. See? I, I'm, I'm thinking more Scottish. Ah, Scottish. <clears throat> Damn it. I got nothing. Um, so, yeah, so we'd want the crow with the monocle coming out saying... Hold on. I just gave I, you every opportunity. I... I... Why can't we get you out of the, them gravestones, <laughs> governor? I just gave you every opportunity to bring Sean Connery into this, and you just... You let it go. Was Was Sean Connery known for pretending to have a Scottish accent? Isn't he Scottish? Yeah. Well, I still I don't see the connection though. You like to voice everything with Sean Connery. I never make that choice myself. It just happens in the movies. <laughs> I report back to the people. I let everyone know what happens to me when these weird audio anomalies happen. It's just something I feel I'm responsible for telling the truth about. I don't choose to do it for fun. You answer to a higher Sean Connery power? I answer to a high Sean Connery power. Of course. All right. Let's go with your with your crow. I want to hear this. I want to make this happen. Okay. So the crow, again, monocle, top hat, turns to the camera and knowingly explains that um, I didn't even have to do an impression or a voice. But he will be narrating now, taking over for Sarah, saying, y'all met my friend Sarah earlier. And he's like, now I'm going to tell the story the way it was meant to be told. I like to see kung fu fighting people do cool things and get healed with their my abilities as a crow, making them more powerful. You hear? So something like that. So that way you, you, there's no mystery or trying to figure out a riddle. He's telling you he likes these kung fu fighting dudes. And when they die, he brings them back and gives them powers because it's fun. Plausible? I mean, more plausible than bullet eating, but. Okay, so like we're at a six. Yeah, 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 about there. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> um. And to, to sort of go along with that, like some scenes don't go long enough. Like the there's a scene where 
Sarah is on her skateboard. Like she, she just meets Eric as he's like back from the dead and doesn't recognize him. She goes to skateboard into the street and he like grabs her and, and saves her. And she goes to go away and he, he says that line that you said uh, earlier, I think. Like, it can't rain all the time. And then she's like, Eric? And she turns around and he's gone. And then it's just next scene. Like, there's none of her, like, looking around, looking down the street or anything like that. Like, I, I felt like we could have had another three seconds at the end of that of just her, like, looking around like, oh, my God, was it him? Yeah, I mean, you don't just drop a line from the hangman's joke and then walk away and disappear. You have to let that linger for a while. Exactly. I mean, I think it'd be fair to say that with with both Eric and Sarah, he obviously has this protective vibe and they explain to us an exposition and, and show us that like he, he was they were taking care of her and like all this happened. But, you know. There were a couple of moments that were okay, but on the whole, there wasn't a whole lot that really connected with, you know, the two of them. I mean, yeah, there was some hugging and there was like some kind of emotion, but I never really bought into this amazing tearful reunion and how amazing it is that he was dead. It's more like, I knew it was you. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. And like, I, I think that that goes along with sort of a common theme in this, which is assumed backstory. Yeah. You get a lot of assumed backstory throughout this movie that and and I've never read the graphic novel, so I can't say one way or the other. But I if it stayed true to it, I imagine you probably don't get a lot of that backstory there either. Well, it's it's interesting because it's both you have that assumed backstory, but also too much flashback. (laughs) Not the right kind of flashback, but like they felt like, well, this is really going to sell it. We don't really need to say much else. We're going to show all the rage and hate and pain going on just through through flashback. But it's not going to actually tell any story or advance it any further. We're just going to keep hitting the same points over and over. Right. And I I wonder if that is uh, kind of a a symptom of Brennan Lee's death, because to go a little further into that. They hadn't quite finished shooting like they were close to, to finishing, but weren't quite there. And so they had to like they had to do some script rewrites and they finished it with some some CGI and some reshoots and some like sort of recycled footage and things like that. So I wonder if maybe there was some of that before that now there's not. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can approach it with just a little bit of grace and be like, OK, we're going to give them a little leeway and say that the fact that they you know, turn things around and even release the movie after deleting and throwing out any of the footage tied to the time around his death. And like the fact that they came back and actually did something and released it, you know, there may be some little issues here and there that we can just kind of say, okay, we'll, we'll let those go. And maybe this is one of them. Yeah. Um, I did like his getup though. We talked about him coming out of the, coming out of the grave and then, more or less going right to putting on makeup. Um, his getup was actually pretty cool, uh, yeah. and obviously inspired you know uh, other uh, other characters later, sort of down the line. Uh, but like I, I really dug like how he just sort of threw it together, and it worked really well. 
Name one character that wears like tight leather pants, a really cool long overcoat that's kind of leather and like runs a lot and and has gun battles where he's diving under tables and like, you know, kind of doing unnecessary flips while shooting. Oh, wait, that's the Matrix again. Sorry. Runny Mick Goth Gunnarsson. Yep, that character. was a good movie. I yep. remember that one. It was an Adam Sandler movie, I think. Yep, it was. Him and, uh, and uh, what's her face? Uh, David Spade. David Spade, her. That's right. Her. <laughs> that one. <laughs> um, I did also like uh, sort of some of the imagery that you get throughout the movie. The the crow's eye view, I think, worked really well uh, like, from an effect times... standpoint. Yeah, there are times when it felt like they were a scrappy movie without much budget that really kind of made things work in an interesting visual way. And then there were other times when it felt like they were trying to show off and it just wasn't good. Yeah, like the the, the title card is actually a, a or maybe not the title card, but the opening, uh, like the Devil's Night yeah. uh, bit was a good example of that. And you, you sort of see this throughout movies around that era, especially with fire effects. Mm-hmm. and explosions like it just sort of looks like they took video of an explosion and then flattened it and widened it and it just looks like weird like it looks like a bad video game or something like that and like any any healing that happened oh man when they got shot through the hand yeah and it's very <laughs> obvious that he's moving and the hands not but it's yeah, healing it's... up like come on <laughs> So, there, I mean, of course, there there are a few issues, but by and large, I think I applaud their efforts to try to capture this incredibly dark and gritty landscape before there was a Gotham City dark and gritty landscape. You know, they were, they were trying to use a combination of some not wonderful special effects, but they stayed pretty consistent with their lighting and their tone and, and how and how you just I mean, the whole time, even though. You know, I didn't really I mean, I, I know it was kind of set in Detroit, but it had that feeling of uh, you, you traveled, you know, there were not a lot of sets that went on in this movie. And yet you felt it was kind of a bigger area than what it was. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, and I mean, you know, you, you talk about budget. They didn't have a huge budget, like it's like an estimated twenty three million dollars, according to IMDb, which even by 1993, 1994 standards isn't huge. And like 13 million of that was set aside for animal handling. And like another 10 was set aside for music royalties. Like if you look at the soundtrack yeah, of this it. movie, I mean, you've got you've got STP, you've got uh, Nine Inch Nails, you've got Rollins Band, you've got Violent Femmes and, you know, half a dozen other like mainstream bands. Yeah, that I really you're paying I, money to for their music. <laughs> This was like a lot of this music was new to me when I saw the movie. Like, you know, it was a introduction to this kind of some of some edges of the grunge rock, you know, heavy metal, you know, just a couple of these touches that I had not quite heard. And so, yeah, now listening to it, it's kind of this who's who of like, you know, early to mid 90s. I don't even know the categories because it it travels throughout, you know, from kind of emo rock to grunge to just the bare edges of metal and the such. And so I think the soundtrack and the songs they have work great for the movie. I do, too. Absolutely. I'm I'm not knocking that by any means. Um, what I am saying, though, is that it didn't leave a lot of money for them to play with from an effects standpoint. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could all come back to, to that. I I tend to agree. 
I, I still like the whole like uh, the effect of the crow being lit on fire on the ground. You know, something that is, simple. That is super cool. Uh, and I mean, even the blood crow on the side of the building, like I thought was was really cool. But like, oh, and I mean, this is kind of a rough transition because it has nothing at all to do with special effects, but does have to do with things that were either good or bad. And something that really annoyed me um, that I think was maybe the only thing that I didn't like when I was younger uh, and it still annoys me now is when you have Eric when he first shows up, I think it's at the pawn shop and he quotes the Raven by Edgar Allan Poe because he's the crow and like, <laughs> you know, Hey, it's me. And all us black birds are all kind of the same anyway. It's like, Oh my God, that so bothers me. <sighs> that, that also kind of got under my skin too. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's really not much else to say about that. Uh, except yeah, it's, it was annoying. So what do you think of uh, the, the, the main bad guy that was kind of running things behind the scenes? Uh, what was his name? Uh, his name. Big was, Money. Was it Big Money? No, I'm just kidding. Top, top Dollar. Top Dollar. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was close. Um, yeah. Top Dollar played by uh, Michael Wincott. Um, he was weird like he you almost got like a like a supernatural vibe from him too especially mm-hmm. early on with him and uh micah played by Bai Ling, who they they were doing this sort of almost voodoo occult sort of shit with people's bodies and, and whatnot like i didn't really fully understand it as i watched it um but he he was a weird dude, and he—he's. He, uh, if you had to give him like a character alignment, he would be. I would say he's probably chaotic evil. Like he just—he—he he does shit to fuck with people, and I think that that's sort of his driving force. Do you uh, think he, Top Dollar, or Eric Craven the Crow had better hair? Oh, Eric Craven or Draven. Eric Draven. Uh, Draven, Craven, whatever. Yeah. Um, I disagree. I really, what? I thought, because I think Top Dollar, he had this long, luxurious, natural looking hair. No product, nothing added to it to add excitement. It was just, I mean, you just want, I wanted to run my fingers through it. And <laughs> and I just thought he's chaotic evil. And I don't know if it was this going to work out between us. So I never really got got to that point. But I just thought, Man, the hair is spectacular, but they they both had some nice locks going on. I mean, not to say that, you know, Top Dollar's hair wasn't good, uh, because, I mean, it was shiny and straight, and and it it almost seemed too perfect. Uh, But I don't know, I just, I I dug the messy look of... uh, Brandon Lee's sort of shoulder length uh, job going there. So, and again, just to pull it back to top dollar, just one more time. I just was thinking, have any time before or since, have I ever seen a character like the main evil villain in a movie who, who really was just obsessed with seeing the city burn? Like he, he didn't have, he didn't want money he didn't want accolades. He just wanted chaos. And he just wanted to see what happens to people when the worst comes to them. Huh. Have well, I ever seen that? 
I mean, there's uh, there's Heath Ledger's Joker. There is the Joker. Yes, yes, yes. That is true. Um, um, no, it's not about the money. It's about sending a message. <laughs> is that Sean Connery? No, it was supposed to be uh, Heath Ledger, but I'm not good at voices, so. Uh, it, yeah, I, I'm. I'm not either. I like. I just again. I just repeat what I hear. I don't really <laughs> think about these things. You're like a parrot. Yeah. Like, like, like a like a well-trained macaw. Yeah, this is where I do my Gilbert Gottfried impression as a <laughs> as a parrot, but I can't do it on command. I just can't. But yeah, That's like funny. I really I, I dug a lot like what happened here and like all the stuff we talked about, the setting and, and the, the darkness. And and I feel like I would just be shocked if Christopher Nolan wasn't aware of this movie and just kind of thought, you know, I can go from here. I can build on this. I'm not saying he ripped anything off at all. And of course, Heath Ledger's Joker was a far better fleshed out character and all of his chaos and motivation. Sure. But it really felt like there might have been like a. Hey, remember that one guy in the crow that the bad guy like let's take that and like amp it up and, and like use that as inspiration. Yeah, I mean that's a that, that's a totally valid sort of outlook on on that. And in all likelihood that's probably what happened. Oh yeah, likelihood. <laughs> um that the 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 gang of four uh you had uh who was it there? Skank, Tintin, Funboy, and T-Bird, right? Sure. Who, was your, who was your favorite of those four? I hated them all. I hated them. I wanted them all dead, and I wanted them dead quicker. Is that well, different? <laughs> okay, then. No, I mean, I really... I, I had a hard time, like, connecting, enjoying, even... Like, I can enjoy a good villain... But these were just personifications of, you know, the joy of rape and the wonderfulness of not caring about human bodies and and doing all these things. And only like I think one of the four even remembered anyone or doing it or anything at all. And it was just like they weren't sympathetic. They weren't interesting. I didn't like them. Um, I just I wanted them dead and taken care of and gone. Like I just did not like them. Like this is sometimes you have these revenge movies that are like questionable about the motivation and stuff. And I'm like, no, this is cool. Just go ahead. Just, just kill them all. It's fine. <laughs> and maybe like, isn't a good, you know, word to use there. Probably appreciate would be better, but I, I can sort of get behind what you're saying there. Like they're I mean, all I did... just really, really shitty people. Um, I mean, I did kind of like the, you know, what's face that lasted the longest. Who's like, I feel like a big old worm on a big old hook or whatever he said. Oh, you know? uh, was that skank? Yeah. I mean, I only liked him because it was good to see him suffering. <laughs> um, oddly enough, I, I sort of enjoyed watching the, the first one that died, the Tintin. Knife boy, that knife guy. Yeah, for some reason, I just I I I like a knife thrower person. Like I, that's my that's one of my sort of more enjoyable uh, character traits, I guess. Yeah. Fun fact that his character is actually inspiration from Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands. Uh-uh, really? Mm, I don't know. Could be. It's you son of a bitch. He did have knives and sharp he, things. They he both did have in his hands. Yeah, in his hands. And he did kind of have leather, black leather, so. That's true. Uh, Both played by Johnny Depp. Uh, nope. That's oh, not, okay. uh, no, that's where, that's where the line is drawn, I think. 
Uh, Did I ever just... mention my condition, the Johnny Depp blindness? No. Yeah. Does everyone look like Johnny Depp to you? No, only Johnny Depp. <laughs> I... <laughs> it's a very rare condition. I don't even know how to handle it most days. Oh, man. <laughs> Oh, damn it. All right. Bring us back into focus. We're hitting the home stretch. I think we are hitting the home stretch. Oh, boy. Uh, Okay. So uh, I think we're about ready for our final question, which is going to be this. So we've we've mentioned numerous times throughout the episode that uh, Brennan Lee uh died way too soon uh really if you think about it before his career really had a chance to take off uh so my question to you john is what role since the crow came out and it could be anything from 1994 until now would you have liked to have seen brandon lee cast as the 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 main character hmm can I say a TV show? Uh, yeah, I'll allow it. Because have you ever seen Into the Badlands? I have not. Well, it's a. Uh, I mean, I I know of the show. It's not like yeah. I'm blind to it or anything like that. Like you are to Johnny Depp. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So essentially, to anyone who hasn't seen it, it's essentially kind of like a mixture of a a western and a, you know a a martial arts samurai kind of thing set in a slightly dystopian future. Um, but it's a good show. I like it a lot, but I think he would be just an absolute perfect fit to, as a main character in that show. Like one of these barons, someone who like has his own gang and group of people and he could be good, bad, you know, anywhere, somewhere in the middle. It doesn't matter. Like for some reason, and maybe it's cause I've watched into the badlands not too long ago. Like that just floods to my, my fourth, you know, for brain, I think is where that, <laughs> where the words live and come out. Um, but uh, w- what were you thinking? You've had a little more time to think about it. What? Well, I actually, I was thinking um, the Joker uh, mm. and maybe not even necessarily in the Christopher Nolan films, but you know, since, since his passing, you've had one, two, three, four, five, six, really like six Batman movies um there's there's a new batman coming up there's a joker film coming up um i i think that he would have probably filled that role better than most most people who've been considered for the role i was gonna say because you got jack nicholson and heath ledger to say brandon lee would like eclipse their performances i can't no, imagine I, I i and and they would be sort of the exceptions and i, I yeah to, to be fair i haven't seen joaquin phoenix's joker yet so like i can't really pass judgment there which that's we'll talk about that in a second but it's, <laughs> it, <laughs> there's a lot of like pissed off people right now uh, but I, I think that he would almost certainly be better, far, far, far superior better than uh, Jared Leto. Uh, like, well, I'll, I'll, I have to say, like, I think almost anything you suggested, I would just have to go 
it's intriguing and I wish I could have seen it, but I feel like he's one of these people that to be perfectly honest, maybe his potential, he never would have reached it. You know, like we saw him on this upswing right as he was just starting to get in, into the loop. And I don't know personally, I don't think he ever got really great material to work with to show off his acting chops. And so could he do more than just like look good and have like good physical acting and like get into the roles? Like, I feel like he was right at that verge. So that would have been an amazing role to see. Does he have it? Mm -hmm. Um, So it it definitely would have been intriguing to to check out and see. Yeah. Um, So going back to the, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker thing for a second, uh, feel free everyone to, to Google uh, the, the upcoming Joker movie. It's a standalone movie uh about the sort of the origins of the joker uh which apparently are not going to follow any uh dc storyline it's it's, it's going to be i guess its own sort of original storyline and a lot of people are pissed off about it john how do you feel about that well how do i feel about the fact that people are pissed off about it or how do no, i feel how, personally? How do, you, how do you feel about the the lack of source material for this movie I, I'd have to say I'm of two minds. On, on the one hand, I mean, I, people are going to tell stories. And if they want, you know, and, and if you want to tell a story and it doesn't come from source material, but it ends up being a really great, amazing movie, then you're building into the story and you're creating something new that can last for, you know, generations. I'm not saying I think that's going to be the case. I'm just saying, yeah, okay, I see what you're doing, but that just kind of leads to the second half of my thoughts and and feelings on that is that not just with the joker who i feel you know how many iterations of him can we have in a 10-year period before people realize there's other characters in the world but like um i feel for for batman in general there are ups and downs throughout the franchise things and and like i feel like there have been moments i've enjoyed but i have not had one single live action batman movie that i feel captured everything that goes on with Batman and the villains and his rogues gallery and everything like that. And so it almost feels like you have such a rich tapestry to pull from and you want to pull back and focus on the non-existent backstory of one character and fill it in. It's like, Hey, you know, more power to you trying that out. It just, you lost me twice already before you even got to the movie. Am I going to see it still? Yes, of course. But yeah, for sure. There but... are obstacles that they have to get past to win me over and the trailer has some intriguing moments to it, but it doesn't make me excited on any level. So I just kind of feel somewhat neutral towards the existence of this movie. I'm not angry, but I think there's so many more interesting stories. And I just don't know if the whole DC universe is capable of, of telling these stories in an amazing way. We'll, we'll, we'll see if they can pick that mantle back up and, and do something with it. But Yeah, uh, see, I was excited by the the trailer i think that there's there's a lot there that they're they're working with and i think that it, it has the potential to be really good but I, I think that what you said is is really sort of important and stand out which is that you know they have all of these different storylines to pull from but they're not going to use them where does when does it stop being fan fiction and start being canon yeah, you have to get like a Martin Scorsese behind you. Like what? Right. When is it all of a sudden okay? I mean, I think there is a line there, and I think this may end up being a good movie, but maybe not a great Joker movie. Who knows? You know. Cool. Well, 
I think we've spent enough time talking about the Joker and uh, on this crow podcast then. on this, on this, on this podcast about the movie, the crow. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and call it here. That's our show. Everyone, please make sure to uh, subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Stitcher, all those podcast platforms and, and programs that you know and love. Uh, make sure to uh, rate and leave a review on Apple podcasts. That helps us out a lot. Uh, and tell your friends and family and coworkers and loved ones. You can tell people you hate, like, you know, hey, fuck you. By the way, go listen to Memory Distillery. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I mean, definitely strangers. That's the big one. Oh, for sure. Like, dri- like drive-by screamings. Hey, yeah. go watch the Memory Distillery. Hey, do you guys want to know how Harry Potter ends? And also listen to the Memory Distillery. That's at a Barnes and <laughs> Noble. Um, but. I mean, one of the things, again, we, we, we talked about some of the, the great songs in the soundtrack on, in, in The Crow. Um, and The Crow cast, as we're all calling it uh, nowadays, uh, has been spiced up by the music from the band Semaphore, particularly the song Destroying the Evidence. Again, I've actually had a few different people have commented that they've been checking out uh, a Semaphore and, and think that it's crazy that you can just listen to them for free, uh, Spotify and other areas, and that they would allow their music to be used on podcasts and free royalties, just like they do for us. Um, but that's something you'll want to do. And please, uh, we cover a lot of territory in these podcasts, sometimes get off track just a tiny bit, <clears throat> Joker. Like right now. And this is when you'll want to email us with your comments and questions and say, why the hell can't you guys just stay on track and talk about something straight through? That's a great question to ask. You should email it us at thememorydistillery at gmail.com. And again, can't emphasize this enough. If you just tell us in passing you want us to do a movie, you love this movie, we're probably going to forget about it. No offense, but it's probably going to happen. Uh, that's another thing on Facebook or in our Gmail Drop us a little hint. Let us know what you're looking forward to so we can uh, try to see if we can fit that in our schedule. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, stay tuned uh, each Monday as we uh, distill another favorite from our past. We have a pretty good one coming up next week and maybe a little surprise for you as well. Uh, So, yeah, uh, this has been the memory – or, no, wait, shit, fuck. I I like that. That's a good ending. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that really fits the tone of what we do here. Uh, all right, that's it. I'm done. For John Deck, I'm Anthony Veneri, and this has been the Memory Distillery. We are. <laughs> we are what? <laughs> I'm just telling you. <laughs> this is what our viewers know and love, is how unpredictable we are. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Shit, fuck.